Michael, go ahead and come on up. Michael's going to be reading for us out of Revelation chapter 1. And if you would, please stand with me out of respect for God's word. Uh, Michael's going to be reading Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. So, Michael, I'll pass it off to you, brother. Thank you. Good morning. This is Revelation 1, 9 through 20. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. May God bless his word. You may be seated. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we read this, and I just, every time I come to your word, and particularly in, in Revelation, just remind him, and we need you. Uh, we need you to uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We need you to lead us and guide us. Father, I need you as a, as a broken vessel, as a weak um, man who is not sufficient to uh, use words to help convey what it is that you're trying to convey. And so we need your spirit. We need him to be present with us. And so we ask him to be here uh, to correct us, to guide us, to lead us, lead us to repentance, lead us to uh, be the people that you've called us to. But Lord, most of all, especially in this morning, Lead, lead us to see the Son of Man more clearly. Lord, I plead that you would help us to do that this morning. I pray and ask these things in your name. Amen. So as we engage with Revelation chapter 1, like I want to set the stage. This is being written by the Apostle John. He was a friend of Jesus. He was uh, the disciple in which Jesus loved. Like, and this is important that this is anchored in history. This is a real moment, a real event, a real man. At this time when John writes this, he's somewhere around, the year, around 80 years old. So he's an older man. And, and we find out right here in Revelation chapter 1 that he is on the island of Patmos. Now, we know this, and there's a lot here in regards to what that means for us, but ultimately it means that John likely was here exiled 
um, to the island of Patmos because of his stance and his love of the Lord and his unwillingness to waver in seeing and saying that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not the emperor, which is what those days they were leading people to do was worship the emperor as God, but no, Jesus is Lord. And John writes it to people, people like you and to me, not as someone who stands on a pedestal, but look how he responds and look how he communicates. He says, I, John, your brother and partner. Like John, in this moment, 60 years after Jesus has risen, is saying, like, I'm, I'm with you. I'm one of you. I've experienced all of these things uh, that you have experienced. And while he's there on this prison island in exile, he's conveying to his brothers and sisters, his co-laborers, those other people in first century Judea and Mesopotamia, he's conveying to them what it is that's been revealed to him. And one day, John is worshiping in this present prison island, this rock quarry, if you will, and he hears a voice behind him. And that's important because this is not a voice that's internal. This is not John hallucinating. He hears a directional voice, and it's behind him, and he turns, as it says, right down what he sees. Now, he talks about seven churches that it's to go to. I want you to look at this map. This is the map of Mesopotamia in those times. This is the seven churches. Why seven churches? Well, look at how uh, this might have gone. So Patmos is way down there, and you've got Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. This is intended and given to us not to single these out as the most special churches in all of Mesopotamia, but to remind us that, that this is to be given from one church to the next. So from Patmos, it likely went to Ephesus, and then it was to pass on to Smyrna. And why all this? Why seven? Why not eight? Why ten? Well, as we've talked about, numbers in Revelation mean something, and our clue is seven. It means completeness, fullness. We see that over and over in the book of Revelation. And so this voice comes to John, and he is making sure that John understands and that the churches of the first century, these churches of the first century, understand that what is about to be given is for the church, capital C, not only of their day, but every single day and every single generation to come. This message is for you, it's for me, it's for our, my great grandkids, if the Lord tarries. This becomes immensely important as we see what ne what's next, because as John hears this, and he hears that this is for those seven churches, again, illustrating this is for all the churches, he turns and he sees seven lampstands and someone in the midst of those lampstands. And he describes it and says, it's someone like a son of man. And this is the picture we get of this being is odd, terrifying, and puzzling, to say the least, isn't it? Now just look at the description real quick. It's the son of man. He is clothed with a white robe and golden sash. Okay, relatively normal so far. But suddenly he has hair like wool, white as snow, eyes like flames of fire, feet like bronze, voice like a roar of waters, seven stars in his right hand, a sword protruding from his mouth. Just get that image waking up in the morning, right? A face like the noon sun. Like this is an awe-inspiring image. It's no wonder that after John sees this, he falls over and he falls on his face before this 
Son of Man. And we're going to talk about what each of these means as we go on, but what in the world is this image supposed to convey to us? Is this a literal image or is it a symbolic image? The answer is yes. It's both. John sees these things real. They're literal. Like he sees someone like a son of man standing there, and he has all of these characteristics. And yet, it's also deeply symbolic in a way that, that was meant to help communicate something, some deep truths that otherwise might be missed. Jesus is conveying things to John about himself. Realities that mere words are insufficient to communicate. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever been in a situation where words just weren't sufficient to communicate something? We know this because throughout the book of Revelation, you're going to see Jesus represented in many different ways. We see him like the son of man with the sword coming out of his mouth and eyes of fire. We're going to see him like a lamb with seven horns. We're going to see him um, riding on a horse with a a blood-dipped robe. We're going to see him as a baby. We're going to see all these images of Jesus Jesus is not in heaven constantly shifting shapes like some sort of a strange superhero. That's not what he is. Jesus is in heaven. He is who he is. These images, these symbols are given to us to communicate and convey some real characteristics about who Jesus is and about what he is doing. And Jesus is wanting the church to see him and to see not only him but what he is doing in their midst. This picture is intended to carry us through the book of Revelation. It's also been intended to carry us through our lives. And it's intended to carry us from one generation to the next. These inner images are meant to grab us and to deepen our understanding of who Jesus is and to deepen our trust and our hope in Jesus. Listen, we use images like this all the time, don't we? Like we use this all the time in our lives. And so don't let it be too strange for you. If you're coming to Revelation for the first time and you're like, okay, this is odd. What's this all about? Like, we do this all the time, right? Like, so if I were to tell you that North Korea's leader, Kim Jong-il, I'm pretty sure I butchered that. But nonetheless, if I were to tell you that he doesn't care about his people, that he's narcissistic and only cares about his strength and power, like, you would get that. You would understand it. You would get what I'm trying to say to you. But if I showed you a picture like this, Like, well, there we go. One. I think it's not coming up. There it is. Like, you get a different picture of the same thing I'm trying to say. Right? Like, you get an understanding from this imagery that it's not just as simple as um, he's power hungry. Like, you get this image, of this sense of this visceral feeling that this leader is a childlike person who cares nothing for his people. No matter how much weight and crushing goes on upon the people of North Korea, he doesn't care. He's going to do what he wants and play with his rockets. Like, like this is what a political cartoon does, right? Like, it takes something that's real and true, and it anchors us into us, and it makes us feel something way more than just saying, we don't agree with the leader of North Korea. Like, images, they do things to us, and we're going to say that over and over and over and over again um, throughout this book. But this is what's happening as John turns when he hears this voice and he sees one like the son of man so let's walk through this really specifically and see what it is that's being conveyed to us not just to ephesus and smyrna and the other churches but to you and to me and to my kids and to your kids first he sees the lampstands this imagery 
This is not new to the people of Israel. Maybe new to us, but it's not new to them. It's first seen or it's seen in the book of Zechariah, chapter 4, where Zechariah sees a vision of a lampstand with two olive trees, which, by the way, are going to come back again sometime later in Revelation. And this image represents the people of God, the nation of Israel. And in that vision in Zechariah, the stand which the lamps sit upon represents the Spirit of God granting the people power to accomplish the task that he had called them to. In that case, in the book of Zechariah, it was to rebuild the temple. So Zechariah sees this vision of a lampstand. It's being empowered by the Spirit of God to fulfill the task in which he'd given to them, which is to build the temple. So if we carry this image into the book of Revelation, what's being told to us? What's being told to us is that these represents the seven churches. Remember, the complete church, the holistic church, the capital C church. And we see the image given to John, and it shifts the image in Zechariah to a deeper meaning that the Spirit of God is still empowering God's people. Still empowering God's people. But the shift has moved from just one segment, in other words, a nation of Israel, to now all of his people who have put trust in Jesus. Not just one people, but Kenyans and Egyptians and Sudanese and Iranians and everybody who's put their faith in Jesus is now part of this vision. It's part of this scene. And each of them has been empowered by the Spirit of God to fulfill the tasks which have been given to them in every age, in every moment, from John's day to this day. But, and this is where things get really practical for us, the lampstands are not the focal point. That belongs to the Son of Man, the one who stands in their midst. And it's important to understand this does not just describe a picture of a person standing there. This is a title. It's a title that those people in the Near East in those days would have understood. It is a title referring to the towering, powerful, authoritative, and eternal figure that is seen in Daniel chapter 7 in the Old Testament. Years before Jesus was the hope of the nations, we see the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7. I love how Eldon Ladd puts it in Dennis Johnson's book, The Discipleship on the Edge. He says, One like a Son of Man refers to the preexistent, heavenly being who comes to establish the kingdom that cannot be destroyed. The Son of Man is just about the most pretentious title anyone could have used in the ancient Near East. Like, we are supposed to hear this title and hold our breath. I know for us, like, we don't, we're, we're, we're kind of divorced from that understanding. Like, we don't understand it because it's not been rooted into our understanding of the Old Testament in the same way. But for those churches in that day to hear that he sees the Son of Man, like, they would have held their breath to say, like, what is coming next? Because he's the preexistent heavenly being amidst us right now. He's not above the churches He's not distant from the churches. He's spiritually right there in their midst, in the midst of the lampstands. He's right here with us in this church in Wichita, Kansas in 2023. But again, he's also in the midst of the lampstand of my brothers and sisters in Kenya who worshiped him just nine hours ago. He's with the lampstand in Egypt. He's with the lampstand in Albania. He's with the lampstand 
in our churches all across the city and nation, Jesus is present. He's amidst us. He's among us. That's the point of this. Now, what is the Son of Man doing? What is he doing? A part of that clue is given in this lampstand imagery. Lampstands were used in the temple. We see it both in Leviticus and in Exodus. And we see that they're to be tended to so that they do not go out. And so this is the job of the priest. And so what is this conveying to us? It's conveying to us the image of the tending hand of the Son of Man. So, so here, get this picture. John is seeing a representation of the universal church. And he is seeing in the midst of the universal church, the Son of Man represented like the high priest tending and caring to those lampstands. Do you think of Jesus physically, practically, right here with you, tending to you in your midst, day in, day out, when we gather on a Sunday morning? Like he's here and he's tending to us, he's caring for us. Like this imagery is not meant to terrify us, it's meant to encourage the church. And what we're about to see is related to his presence with you and with me today, right here, right now. In this moment, the Son of Man knows the world in which the church is abiding in. He knows that it's difficult. He knows that it's hard. And we as his people, we have never and will never be simply left to our own. You know these promises. You've seen these promises, right? John 14 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Hebrews 13 says, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew 28 says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we know these verses in our heads, but we oftentimes don't think about, well, what does that mean for me as I go about my day? And what John sees and gives us is vivid imagery to understand what he is doing in our midst so that we could be aware, so that we can understand how to go to him. So we can understand how to be faithful and to endure, how to pray to him. Now, what we're about to enter into, there is no way in the next 15 to 20 minutes that I can give the depths of all of these things. And so I want you to encourage you to take these things and, and meditate on them and pray over them. Maybe go to GLC, the Gospel Life classes right after and talk about them more deeply. But these things are for every single church and the church desperately needs to know it. You and I desperately need to see the Son of Man who is tending to us. So, what is he doing? One like a Son of Man. He is clothed with a white robe and a golden sash. Is that just a description or does it mean something? Well, it means something. Now, there's some debate as to what this means. I agree with the majority of scholars that believe that this is representing Jesus as the high priest. Now, we understand Old Testament history, and I'm not going to go into all that, but the high priest is the one who mediates between the people of Israel and the, the Lord God. Like He goes into the Holy of Holies, and he mediates the sacrifices. Jesus has done all of that. And so let me be really simple and, and really straightforward. Here's what this image conveys. The one with the golden uh, sash and the white robe reminds us that Jesus is the one who lights your lamp, he is the one who gives us the oil of the Spirit of God to keep us empowered to do the work he's called us to. He's the one who brings us into the presence of the Father by his righteousness, and he is the one who keeps and tends to us. This is what this means for us. You are never 
alone. So practically, when you come into a place and you feel defeated, you feel like a failure, you feel like, man, your, your prayers, they're not being answered, you need to remind, be reminded of the one who is with you. He's your high priest. He's mediating for you. He's, he's interceding on your behalf because that's who he is. That's who he is. That's the truth that you have to cling to in those moments. When you go to the Father in prayer or in weeping or in thanksgiving, Jesus is there mediating on your behalf as your righteousness. You, brother and sister, and sometimes we miss this, are guaranteed because of the work of Jesus Christ to be heard by the Almighty God who made everything. And we don't pray. Isn't that crazy? I don't pray the way I should. And what this image is reminding us, like he, he's the son of man in our midst and he wears the white robe and he has the golden sash. He's mediating for us. He lit your lamp. He gives you the oil of the spirit to keep you going. He brings us into the presence of the father and he keeps us. What a beautiful thing. But the son of man is not only like our high priest, he is also has hair like the wool, white as snow. There's a couple of you out there have hair like that. So what does this mean mean? Well, again, we see something that we have seen before in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. We see this as part of the character and nature of the ancient of days. And so a couple of things that are happening in this image. First, Jesus is being made synonymous with the ancient of days. Uh, that's huge. So for a person in that day to hear that this son of man is the same as the ancient of days in Daniel 7 is crazy. And yet he is the son of man. He is the ancient of days. He is the son of God. That's who he is. Second, it conveys to us his wisdom, his purity, the respect and the honor that is due to him. Listen, this can be kind of hard for some of us in this culture in the West because we're infatuated with youth, aren't we? We are infatuated with youth, but in many parts of the world, those of you who have white hair right now, this is for you. Like, in many parts of the world, having that white hair puts you on a pedestal of respect and reverence that you should be given just automatically by your age and the wisdom that you have for years. There you go. Just so you know who started clapping doesn't have white hair. So, right, but this is what's being conveyed to us. Jesus is the ultimate one of wisdom. Like, the ultimate wisdom. No one has more wisdom than him. So listen, you're going about your day and you're trying to live your life in this world. Like if you feel like you don't understand what to do next or where to go, how to approach what is happening in your life, how to approach what's happening in our world. If you ever feel like the wisdom of the world is pressing in on you and you're like, man, like I just feel like I'm all alone in this. Listen, knowing that Jesus is tending to us and he is among us in all wisdom can give us a deep, sense of trust that when he says he is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose he can actually carry it out because he's wise and he knows and it doesn't matter what our circumstances look like 
That's not an empty promise for him. It's a guarantee because of his unsurpassing wisdom that's beyond everything else that's out there. He knows. He knows how to handle every situation. He knows how to mediate for us with wisdom. He knows how to guide you and me in wisdom for what's best for us. He knows how to make provision for you and for me in wisdom to lead you exactly to where he desires for you in your life in wisdom. Have you ever been in one of those circumstances where it's terrifying and it's scary? You don't know how to go. You don't know how to move. But then somebody comes alongside of you and they're like, oh, I've done this before. It's that times a million. He's done it before. He's made it before. He knows it. He understands it. This should give us tremendous security in our lives. And not only tremendous security, but a tremendous desire to go to him and say, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Guide me. Lead me. You know, I don't. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. His hair is white as wool. When the world seems dark with confusion, the wise and the pure one, he is there with you. Thirdly, He has eyes like flames of fire. Daniel chapter 10, Hebrews 4, use this imagery. Remind us of simply this. He sees everything. Nothing is hidden. Nothing is hidden in this world. Nothing is hidden in you or me. Nothing is hidden in this church. He knows it all. You lie naked and exposed before him. His eyes illuminate, they penetrate, they not only look at you, they look through you. Like to your motivations, to your heart. Listen to this truth, brothers and sisters. You cannot fool him. He knows you. He knows your spiritual condition. We're going to see that in chapter 2 of Revelation, right? He sees the spiritual condition of the churches, You think that you can play the game of religion and just come to church and fool everybody else? Listen, you might fool everybody else. You will not fool him. He sees it. He knows it. He sees your heart. It's known. So listen, just speak to you. Like if you're a husband and you come to church and you put on this facade of this religious guy, this wonderful, kind person, and yet at home you live in darkness and you live as someone who abuses your wife or you're unkind to her or ungentle to your kids or you have given yourself over to passivity, listen, it doesn't matter what game you're playing and it doesn't matter what we see, he sees you. He sees you. And this isn't just for guys, it's for the gals, it's for kids. Kids, listen, some of y'all, I don't know, listen, wake up, CCA kids who just went to homecoming last night and probably didn't get home till three, right? Need you to listen. Like when your parents walk in the room and you're messing around on your phone and you do this number, listen, he sees you. He sees you. It doesn't matter whether mom and dad see you. His eyes pierce and they see it all. And this frees us to be real with him, doesn't it? Like, you don't have to be pretentious with him. You don't have to go to him and be like, like, play the game. Like, you can just be honest with what's going on in your heart and your motivations because he knows it anyway. So you can be free to just go to him and you can be free within the church. You don't have to put on the mask. You can be broken. You can be a mess. You can be sinful. But you can't just stay in it and hide it in darkness and expect everything's going to go Okay. Jesus is calling us, listen, I see you. 
So come into the light. It allows us to trust him to bring about truth in every circumstance. Someone's lying about you or to you, you can trust the Lord to bring truth about because he sees it. We can rest in his capable hands because he is among us and he has eyes like flames of fire. His feet, they're like bronze. Again, this goes back to Daniel. And Daniel, there's a vision of a statue and there's certain segments of the statue and each one represents a kingdom. And the last one is Rome. And it's made of iron and clay and it breaks apart. And what we're being told in this image is Jesus' kingdom will never break apart. His feet are sure, they are secure, and he is going to be walking through history and he is going to crush everything that opposes him. Like, this is the reality for us. And so listen, we all watch the news. If you are ever, ever tempted to wonder where God is in this world, if you are ever tempted to do it, anchor to this truth. Because when other people come to you and they may try to tell you, like, where's your God in the midst of cancer? Where's your God in the midst of war? Where's your God in the midst of famine? You know what? The Son of Man who is with you has feet like bronze, and his kingdom is secure, and it is going to trample all other kingdoms, and they will all fade, but his will not. So I don't have to worry. Like, it may not happen in my timing. It may not happen the way I think it should. It may not happen the way I want it to, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So throw me in prison, take my life, threaten me. doesn't make any difference. The Son of Man is with me. Like, this is what this reminds us of. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. He still sits upon the throne. He will not fail. Next, his voice is like the roar of waters. When he speaks, his words demand attention. His voice should be the only voice you listen to. There are so many voices in this world, but the only one with the power behind it to, to accomplish what it says, the only one that will not fade, the only one will not disappear into powerlessness at some point is the voice of the living God, the Son of Man. What he says stands sure. So, so listen, again, maybe you came in this morning and you're like, ah, I, just, I, feel like, I feel like I've sinned too much and I just feel like Jesus hasn't, isn't gonna be able to forgive me and, and, and this is the reality. When he says if you confess your sins, I will be faithful and just to forgive your sins, that statement is like the war of a water, like nothing can stop it. Like you're secure. This is why we need to constantly be reminding ourselves of the word of God and his promises and what he has spoken in our lives because it is, it is as powerful as the waves of the ocean. Anybody ever try to stand up when a wave hits you? Not like a little baby wave like on the coast of Destin, Florida. I mean like a big wave. Not like... You don't. You get bowled over. His word, is, his voice is like that. And he's given us these promises. He holds the seven stars in his right hand. This one seems a little confusing. They're the angels of the churches. That's what he tells us in the end of this text. The angels of the churches, which in other places in Scripture represent a very real spiritual ministry that is happening for the churches across this world. Jesus in Matthew 18, in the parable of the lost sheep, just a couple of months ago, we spoke about this, speaks of angels who always see the face of the Father, meaning that they have his ear. They are ministering agents to those that are his. 
Listen, this is really hard for us to understand because we all came in here thinking primarily about the material world around us. Is that about getting ready, getting in your car, coming to this place, getting coffee, sitting in a chair? This world is not as real as the spiritual world. Do you realize that what this text reminds us and what we see in Scripture is that Jesus wants to minister to you? And that he wants to launch angels to minister to his churches. Like, do you pray like that? Like, do you cry out to him with that? Do you tap into this in your darkest moments? Are you praying that the Lord would minister to you through the ministry of the Spirit and his angels? Do you actually think that that's a thing you can do? Like, church, you can. Like, in that moment, you cry, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't have the wisdom to see these things. Would you just minister to me? Like, I need your comfort. I, I, need, I need your guidance and your wisdom and your direction. Like, would you send your angels? That's real. And they can be there in the midst of your presence, like, ministering to you. And he's, and he's got them in his hands. Like, man, just ask me. Like, and, I'll, and I'll minister to you in that spiritual way. Like, this is what he's telling the church. So he's telling you and me. He wants to minister to us. Next, there's a sword protruding from his mouth. Isaiah 11, Isaiah 49, same image represents the judgment of disobedience. And in the New Testament, his word is seen very clearly in this way. His word is intended to convict, to cut us, to correct us as he tends to us. When you feel stuck, you feel stagnant when you feel hardened in your heart. The Spirit, through the Word of God, it can be painful at times, but that's what it will do. It will cut. You say, well, that, that seems a little scary to me. I don't really want that. But listen, if you've ever known that a knife in the hands of a surgeon leads to healing and restoration, that's what he's doing. That's what he wants to do through his Word. And so we as the church need to be engaged in his Word and we need to be reminded that as you pick up the word of God in the morning and you're reading that, your prayer should be like, like, in my midst, Jesus, you're walking right here by me. As I'm reading this, would you, would you divide? Would you cut? Would you correct? Would you make me the man or the woman that you want me to be? And Jesus is saying to his church, like, that's what I will do. And it's not just for us. It also is judgment to those who are against him. The same sword will judge the world. Justice will be had. Judgment will be come. So don't be discouraged at the increasing godlessness in this day and age. You ever feel that? Like coming back from Kenya, I tell you what, like I tried to watch a couple movies and every one of them I was like, this is awful. Like it's just godlessness everywhere. I got back into Amsterdam and back in the United States and I'm like, man, I'm getting barraged by just godlessness. He will judge. It's going to come to an end, church. So when you feel that discouragement, do you feel and be reminded that the Son of Man who is in your midst, like, he will come with that sword. Next, he has a face like the noon sun. This imagery is used elsewhere for those who have had victory. The Son of Man has already had victory. We never have to feel dismayed because his victory is ours in this world and in death because he is the one who has the keys of death and Hades. 
And John sees all this. And he is overcome, and what does he do? He falls upon his face. And just in case that the imagery is not good enough for us, or we haven't caught it yet, in the midst of this text, as John is laying there in awe and fear of what he has just seen, what happens next? The tender hand of the Son of Man is laid upon his shoulder. Fear not. Fear not. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one who has died. And behold, I am alive. And by the death and life, I have taken in my authority the keys of the death and Hades. Like this picture of the Son of Man amidst us is to be one of the most encouraging, strengthening, hopeful things for the church. And we miss it. We just bypass it. The Son of Man is Jesus, and He has conquered everything by His death. He's conquered. And He conquered so that He might light the lamps, our lamps, your lamp, my lamp, and that by the power of His, He might, he might tend to them, as He's done for every generation up to this point. I love this quote by Nancy Guthrie. What he wants John to write down is not meant to scare us. It's meant to instill confidence and hope so we will not have to face the future gripped by fear. Don't have to face the future gripped by fear. Any part of your future. I'm not just talking about your death. I'm talking about, man, looking at your job and the, the difficulties and challenges that are there, trying to raise kids, trying to provide for your family. Like You don't have to be gripped by fear for any of it because the Son of Man is in your midst. You just get that in your head over and over again. When fear comes, when anxiety comes, I don't have to fear because the Son of Man is in my midst. Because he is wise, because he is tending to me, because he is my high priest, because he sees all things, because he knows me, because he still loves me, even though he knows me. Thank God for that. Amen? There are some hard and scary things that we are going to read in the book of Revelation. But the Son of Man who is tending to us gives us confidence to pray, to hope, and to endure because of who he is and what he is doing. The people... In the first century, like, so important for us to remember, their moms and their dads, their business owners, their singles, their students, their retirees, those people in those seven churches and every single church needs to be reminded of the truth of the one who is in our midst. Not, not in theory, but in reality. When tribulation comes, when it looks like his kingdom is not ever going to come, when it looks like all is lost, and even when death knocks upon our doors. But not just those hard things. When we eat together, when we celebrate, when we look at a baby being born, or we enjoy each other's company, and we eat and drink, in those days of plenty, Jesus isn't just sitting up in heaven, just waiting and watching. He is working in our midst. He's tending to us, not just individually, but as a body. He's keeping you. He's keeping me. He's keeping us. He's in our midst. He's here right now. Do you believe that? Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it in there. 
You can't see the wind I'm feeling from these fans right now, but it's there. He's here in our midst. Many in our day and age have come to believe that the church, in this country in particular, it's safe and it's secure. The truth is, and this is the point of Revelation, it has never been safe anywhere at any time. And to think otherwise is to miss the spiritual battle that is around us. Where the church exists in power and where the Son of Man is present in his church, where the Spirit is empowering and leading and the church is alive and effective, the enemy is trying to kill it. Listen, if we're not, if we're not engaged in the battle, he doesn't care about you. But if you are, he's trying to kill it. And if he can't kill it, he's trying to deceive it. He's trying to lead it into apathy or some sort of a false gospel that will not save. That is a massive problem in our day and age. Or he's trying to seduce us to be more focused on this world than the kingdom of God. And to ignore this reality is only going to lead us to get our teeth kicked in as we try to live our lives faithfully for him. To miss the reality of the Son of Man in our midst is to miss our need for the Son of Man. You and I cannot live this life without him. We can't. We can't. And if you're trying to, it likely means you're missing the battle or you're losing the battle. To miss this is to assume that once a lampstand is lit, it's safe and secure. It's anything but safe and secure. We're going to see that in the churches in Revelation chapter 2. If we really look at what is around us, and we really are willing to step into the battle, knowing that the Son of Man is in our midst should give us extreme comfort and confidence. The question I want to leave with you this morning is this. Are you trusting in the Son of Man? Are you daily crying out to the Son of Man? Are you reminded that he's in your presence? Are you resting in him as the one who sees all things, who's going to have dominion over all things, who has feet like bronze and hair as white as wool, who is wise above all things? Do you lean into those characteristics of your Lord and Savior? Or do you just do what you do? This text is saying, lean in. And remember, we said this early on. We said that the hardest thing about Revelation isn't understanding all the things. It's making the necessary adjustments to our lives that it demands. The Son of Man in our midst demands our attention. And that's what we should be doing. And so I ask the question again, are you trusting in the Son of Man? Because when, not if, but when tribulation comes... Are your eyes fixed upon the beautiful and powerful, terrifying image of Jesus that we are given in this text? Here's what we're going to do as we close our time. There's a lot of different ways that you could respond to this. Some of you may be hearing this and being like, man, I've been trying to be independent on my own. I haven't even been going to the Son of Man. And you feel like you need to repent of that. And that's an amazing way to respond. If the Lord is opening your eyes to that. Some of you have never seen 
the Son of Man in your midst in this way. And so you just feel really encouraged and you want to walk in that day in and day out. And maybe you want prayer that he could help you do that. Some of you may never have even seen Jesus for who he is. And maybe this is the first time you're getting a real glimpse of his power and his might and his majesty and his glory. Regardless of whatever the Holy Spirit might be putting upon your heart, I want to encourage you this morning to not sit there and do nothing, but to respond to whatever he's putting in your life in some way, shape, or form. And so we're going to sing a song. And during this song, I want you to be responding in your own heart as whatever the Lord's leading you to do. And we're going to have prayer counselors, pastors, and elders up at the front. They're going to be available to pray with you. Maybe you just need to come and kneel at these steps. Maybe you need to just worship in your chair. I don't know. I just want to call you to respond to these realities because they're beautiful and they're encouraging and they should give us confidence. And we're going to sing a song that's probably going to be new for most of you, but it's a song that's intended to help anchor into our hearts the realities of the images that we've seen this morning. And so as you hear the song I want to invite you to worship, to sing along. It's pretty simple. It's basically repeating the words of the text we just read and calling us to see Jesus for who he is. I want to invite you to worship him that way in whatever the Lord way the Lord leads you to. I want to invite you not to leave, but to stay present so that we can be reminded of who he is, but we want to respond nonetheless. So would you stand with me? And then I'm going to pray, and then Tori and the team, they're going to lead us in a song as we close our time together. Father, there's so much in this text and there's so many practical ways that this works itself out in our lives and how you've called us to lean upon you and recognize that you're right there in our midst all the time. For the next couple of moments, I want to pray, Father God, that you would help our hearts to be soft to whatever it is that you would like to, to do in us. I want to pray, Father, that you would just open our eyes even a little bit more to see the glory of our King, you, our Savior, the Son of Man, the Ancient of Days, the First and the Last, the Alpha, the Omega, the One who is and was and is to come, the One who right now is here with us. Help us to see it. Help us to feel it to live in it and to live in a life that's worthy of the good news of what he has come to accomplish. So Father, I pray that you be with us in the next couple of moments as we close out our service with this song. I just ask and pray these things in your name. Amen.